Good morning, everyone. I'm in the office with my good friend, Bill, from Iron Will Broadheads. What's happening? Hey, Aaron. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Uh, Bill actually came to the office this morning with me sleeping on the couch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he woke me up. I got in early to do a podcast on uh, some tuning stuff, and then uh, I was actually bumping my head on the mic falling asleep, and I was like, I better take a nap before Bill gets here, and I ended up sleeping for, well, an hour because... <laughs> When you walked in. Yeah, they said you were in back somewhere, and I walked around until I found you on a couch sleeping. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm excited about this podcast more so than I was even, uh, you know, 45 minutes ago. Just some of the stuff Bill and I were talking about before we hopped on the mic is good info for people to to think about. But uh, the, the big reason starting off, which I've already let the cat out of the bag probably more than you wanted me to, was your new wide cut broadhead. You're going to release that at the... The ATA. So now you're finally letting me talk about it more openly, which I'm excited about. But uh, tell everybody a little bit about it. Yeah. So we've had customers, hundreds of customers asking us for this for a couple of years now, you know, getting a lot of penetration with our current broadheads, um, pushing for a wider cut. And, you know, for a long time, I just was encouraging people just try our, our V series or S series, one and a 16th inch main, main blade, three quarter inch bleeder, 1.8 inches total cut, you know, very sharp maintains that sharpness all the way through, I think you'll be impressed with, you know, how quick they kill and, and the blood trails with that bleeder and everything. But, and I think a lot of people were, but they just kept pushing, you know, I've got, I've got enough energy to get through this animal and it's barely slowing down. I, I want to shoot a wider head. So yeah, I've spent almost two years, I guess, in the development on this and finally coming out with it, but it's a inch and three eighths wide main blade and three quarter inch wide bleeder. So it's 30% wider than our current heads. Um, you know, a lot of people have been wanting this. Um, we made made a hundred of them um, last summer. Placed them with uh, a dozen or so hunters. Um, I think I think you shot, not surprisingly, more than anybody else in the double digits animals. But um, we got a lot of animals down, thirty to forty, and everybody's pretty happy so far. A lot of people really uh, really excited about it. Yeah, I, I shot. Probably the biggest eye opener was the hole in the Wolverine. Um, it looked like a fist went through that thing, and uh, I think I sent that to you pretty quickly afterwards yeah, yeah he did and uh i had sh i had shot um the wolverine or whatever people ask i was in alaska for people who haven't heard the story i had a goat tag i had to put the goat tag on the wolverine and, and uh but my my first arrow was at 12 yards or something and uh it put a hole in it that you could visibly see when it was went off and i had to actually i shot it high i had to shoot it again uh, just to, to finish it off because I didn't really hit anything vital. But the what I, what you hope with a wider cut head is is much like anything you can imagine is if you hit where you don't want to, it's causing more damage, which causes the animal not to, to go as far. And in the case of the Wolverine, I hit it a little high and I could see this massive hole in it. And I was like, holy shit. And I feel in that case, if I would have hit that with a smaller head, he may have made tracks quicker possible you know hypothetically and so it did its job it didn't go very far I shot it again but um i'll post when we release these i'll post some of the believe it or not the second animal i shot with them was actually much more impressive than the wolverine and when you see the hole in the wolverine it's pretty freaking impressive when that thing took off shot it again got to it and i was like holy shit and i think i sent you a photo as soon as i got to the top of the mountain because that's probably the size of a fist of, of what went through your mule deer no no the the uh, the Wolverine. It was probably, oh, yeah, I'd say, yeah. a Copenhagen lid. Um, yep. And I've got photos I'll post of that because I immediately, that was the largest hole I'd ever seen in an animal like that. So the, the next one was my mule deer, and I straight shot that through the scapula on the onside, and 
I didn't quite, I didn't have a pass through. I broke the offside leg in half, but it looked like it got hit with a 338. I mean, when you saw it, were your initial reactions the same as mine? It looked like it hit with a rifle. Yeah, it looked like it looked like you took a hatchet to it. I mean, that, that opposite side shoulder, the leg was broken too, and that meat was completely separated. It looked like it had been in two pieces. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was incredible. Because of the BS flag that can get thrown up, um, I videoed everything because um, I, I wanted to make sure people, because literally when I was cutting it open, I was like, holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't, because you can't, the hide was on it, right? It just barely poked through the opposite side, which it, initially I was like, oh, I can't believe I didn't pass through that. And then I got to it and the leg was snapped in half. And I was like, going through an onside scapula and the offside leg bone with a whopping 174 foot per second bow. I was like, holy cow. Cause I could, when I rolled it over the leg kind of, you know, flipped and I was like, oh, I broke its leg. And then when I was cutting it open, there's, and, and again, you, you'll be able to, it'll get to where you have to hit the button to be able to see it because it's bloody. There's a, a perfect cross in there, but it's it's just multiplied for whatever reason of the, the size of the hole. And you can see the broken leg bone in there in the video. So uh, the initial two animals, I was like, yeah, man, I, I don't want to jump the gun, but you need to hurry up and come out with this shit. This thing's pretty am- amazing. And you, But you had other people using it as well, didn't you? Yeah, we did. We had um, one guy shot eight, eight, eight whitetails with it. Um, I got a lot of good feedback from him, a lot of photos, a lot of details. Um, he had some shots that were the most impressive probably is a near side through the scapula, through the rib on that side, on the far side through that rib, and then right through the knuckle. You know, just that thick bottom of the shoulder blade, that knuckle right there. Um, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a couple inches thick probably. It split that right in two and got a complete pass through with that. So, um, and he also had a downwards to the spine and got a complete pass through. So all the, all the shots through deer with compound bows, everyone's been passed through even with heavy bone, bone hits. And that was, that was my concern with a wider head is that you know, just in general, the wider you are, the more force it takes to push it through. And will we get pass-throughs on whitetails in, you know, all situations? I think you had a couple where you didn't get passed through, but I don't know if people realize, but with your, with your recurve, compared to, say, a 70-pound compound bow, um, you're about 30% less energy than the average compound guy. Yeah, I'd say on the average, I'd say more so for... A lot of guys are starting to, maybe because a cam or something, are shooting 75, 80 pounds, so um, quite a, significantly less than that. But th- I think the other thing that's noteworthy is with the stick, where my issues come into play with penetration is, I mean, and, and you might argue with this, I would say it's more so user error and, and wind. What crushes penetration as much as anything, I mean, obviously broadhead being sharp and everything else is, tail slap, wind drift, whatever you want to call it, bad release, which in the case for me was probably a little bit everything. Um, I had a wind. This was on a doe I shot, and it, it was a high shot. And we, we talked about it this in depth. Jake and I have too. It was a high shot, so I was transferring right where the, the spine goes to the rib cage, and I was in a bad position in the tree stand, and there was a lot of wind. That kills penetration I guess what I'm saying is if I wouldn't have had a bad release, I'm assuming I did, and I wouldn't have had any wind, I don't think I would have had any issue. When you start to get that deviation and that horrible aeroflight flight that crushes penetration, you don't 
get that with a compound as much because you have so many mechanical aids and so you don't yeah. you don't get it'd be similar to a compound if you say clip a branch and the arrow kicks the 45 degree as it hits the animal and you get very little penetration because of that kind of thing well and until you've seen a arrow flying at a whopping 170 something and wind catch it it's an eye-opener. You're like, because, I mean, the tail will, will shift a foot, six inches for sure. And you can see it hitting the target. Like, that's one of the reasons, which we'll talk about this in a minute with the, the Rampages. Bill recently had me try out with his component system. I put smaller veins on the back, and the wind drift is significantly less. And not necessarily just wind drift. I don't worry about wind drift as much because you can compensate for that if you shoot enough to know maybe to aim off a little. And I'm not shooting that far it's erratic arrow flight. I don't, wind drift would be, I don't think a correct way to explain it. Poor arrow flight crushes penetration. And so when my arrows on the rampage hit and they're more or less straight and, or maybe a two inch deviation. And then with my, my vintages are a six to eight inch deviation. That's crushing penetration going into an animal and, and compound guys just don't have that issue as much. And, and like you said, unless they hit a branch. So, right. But, I hit, I shot, good God, I think I've shot 30 or 50. I've shot so many animals with your broadheads, I can't really remember. I know I've shot at least 30, but I think it might be closer to 50 with hogs. And so you got to figure, let's say, keep it in the middle, 40. I mean, I don't I don't know. I've only had two issues. One animal I didn't find, and, and we would have found it because it went on other people's land we just couldn't get on. Uh, and the other one we did find, and both of them, they were with the wide cut, but both of them were high wind um, is what it was. And both of them were not optimal shots, so I can't really blame the head. But it, it does bring up good for people to think about is the place I hit on the animal is a lot less likely to hit compared to the stomach, which is why you would shoot. And you have no issue ever telling me when you think I'm wrong, so chime in. You shoot a wide cut head for, in my opinion, when you hit liver and stomach. That's the reason why you're shooting wide cut. Um, it's not to have a bigger hole in the lungs because if you hit them in the lungs, they're not going to go very far anyway. Yeah, I would agree. Um, our, our S or V series, you put it through the lungs, they're down quick, often in sight. And um, yeah, the wide cut, to me, I'm probably going to shoot it on whitetails out of tree stands um, and bears, um, close shots. And yeah, that's where I think it gives you the benefit. If you get that one lung or one lung liver or liver or gut shot, you know, just more damage, die, die quicker. We've, we had uh, two or three white tails. So I think we've, we've got between 30 to 40 animals down so far. I know you have that because I think I've shot that. Um, I've shot 20 something just with the wide cut. Oh, have you? Yeah. All right. So yeah. <laughs> we've got 50 to 60 animals. <laughs> we've got probably closer to, you know, 40 to 50 than down for sure. We've had three, I think, single lungs that I know of where the, the deer ran 100 to 150, 200 yards and was, it was dead, you know, with a, lo- with a lot of blood there. And I think that's a situation where you want that deer to just bleed a lot and, and run out of blood and drop. And so it worked well for that. Um, you know, liver, liver shot, it just, you know, it didn't go far and died quickly. Um, so, yeah, I think if you're hitting back a ways where that animal's not going to die in two seconds, it's going to take longer. You want to get you know more blood on the ground. And when you with a one lung or or a muscle hit, the best you can hope for generally is they get goofy because they've bleed out, bled out so much, and you can get another shot. You know, and, you know, and and they're just not. You know, the more blood they lose, the the 
the less they act like deer. Um, you know, the less alert they are. And you know, I talked quite because they can live off one lung if they rejuvenate l- blood fast enough. But if they bleed enough, even though they may not die right then, you have a better chance of getting a second arrow off, depending upon the situation. And that's only going to happen with a, a bigger hole. And the different things that I've uh, shot, and I, I hate to say, but yeah, I've shot a couple of those. I've hit those in the stomach with your smaller head and the wider. They definitely react differently and faster with the wide head. You know, this is something we don't want to talk about. Shit happens. The bigger the hole when you're back towards the grass basket, the the better for getting them to bed down faster. And, and it just stands to reason the wider the hole, the more the damage, the more pain they're in, the quicker they're going to bed down. And that's just how life works. I think, though, that the stick thing is kind of a given people are going to shoot that. I think I'd, I I want to focus on so compound guys understand there's a lot of guys that don't like mechanical broadheads. And for good reason, there's issues with them. This is a very good to do the double broadhead. I like shooting two broadheads in my quiver, you know, in some situations anyway. Uh, this is a very good option for guys that would like a wider cut head and don't shoot a mechanical to shoot this to get that same damage because you're at two and an eighth cutting surface, right? Yep, that's right. Inch and a three. Yeah, two, eight, two and an eighth inch total cut. So, you that's know, you great. have a lot of guys, and including myself, I've, I've said I don't mind – well, with the system I was shooting, people have to take into consideration if you're shooting 65, 70 pounds, you've got good momentum, but you don't have great momentum. And you can run into a lot of issues with penetration as well as durability with mechanicals. This fixes that problem because you're still going to have, well, I tested it. I don't I don't know if you did, but I, I went through my deer hide on my my. So I have a redneck way. Bill is quite much, much smarter and better at this than I am. But I, I just have a scale, a bathroom scale, and a, a, pl- a two by four. <laughs> and then I have, I drilled a hole and put an arrow in the top of it. And then I screw a broadhead to it. And I take a deer hide. Uh, in this case, I use an elk hide. And I force it down. And I and I pay attention to the weight on the scale. I know this is redneck as shit. Um, no, I like it. Go to ahead. penetrate <laughs> through the, to the hide. You know, and I never mount anything, so we always have extra hides. And a lot of times, I'll just keep a couple foot section, and and then we'll for testing, right? So <laughs> as weird as that is, and I and I suggest for people to do this because it is an eye opener. So with your standard head, is is like three to four pounds, maybe five, roughly, depending upon you get up in the front of the the chest of the elk. It takes a little bit more for penetration. With the wide head, it was only a couple pounds difference. It wasn't that much, maybe three. With a mechanical, it's 30 to 40. Well, uh, uh, we'll just say 30 to 35 because some of the heads were worse than others. So you're talking a difference of three to seven pounds, uh, three to six to 30 to 40 on a mechanical. And that's a significant difference, especially if you're if you're shooting a, a low momentum bow. So I, are those numbers close to what you've come up with? Yeah, what I would say is um, a wider cut is going to, you know, it's 30% wider. So the force to push through is, it's probably in that 30% range. And it depends a lot what you're pushing through. That's not too much different than what I had because it wasn't quite double. So that's close for yeah, rednecking it. <laughs> it's something on that order. But I agree, mechanicals are multiple times, like 10x or more times the force um, to push through. So yeah, for guys that want a wide cut, this is still going to give you double the penetration of a, of a mechanical through an animal, I think. 
Yeah, it might be more. Um, yeah, at least double, I'd say. Yeah, and when I say that, that's not, um, you know, I'm not humping your leg with that. Just as many animals I've shot with, with mechanicals with a very high momentum set up and not get a pass through, and then getting pass throughs on the same animal in the same spot with a 175 pound recurve, it, it's an eye opener for, for me, you know, because people can say, oh, you had less momentum with your with your compound. I shot heavy arrows with a compound, right? I, I shot almost the same so arrow. So your old setup used to be what, 80, 85 pounds? And 80 to 90, yeah. And, and what, um, well, how heavy of an arrow? 540 to 600, so pretty much what I'm shooting now. Yeah, um, so I mean, that's almost double the, the momentum is your current setup. Yeah, and I, and I wouldn't get pass-throughs. I didn't get a pass-through on a lot of animals. Sometimes I would, but, and I'm becoming, obviously, the more and more I shoot a stick, I mean, openly, more and more of an advocate towards fixed blades because I'm learning more every animal I shoot in comparison to, to before where, you know, I could shoot pretty much whatever I wanted because of the momentum. And, you know, you're not going to be dropping 100-yard bombs with the white, well, you might, but um, with the white cut, it's kind of a 50, 60 and in, you know, broadhead. But I, from my limited experience with buddies of mine screwing around with these with a compound, 40 to 50 is extremely achievable, even with like four, three inch, you know, max stealths or whatever. Um, I don't, what mains do you shoot? I shoot, um, you know, I shoot quite a few, um, just say three blazer veins at three degree helical that, you know, I've shot that for 15 years or so. And that's kind of my baseline. I know it, I know it does a good job of steering arrow. Um, and then I play with, around with a bunch of different ones, but I often just go back to that as a baseline when I test the different heads to see how they perform. Gotcha. And you, how, how far out did you um, test these as far as distance goes? Yeah, I tested them too. I tested them to 100, but um, at, at 50 and 60, I was shooting very tight groups with them. And that's really what it, that's what I plan to use it for personally is is shots that are 50 and under on medium-sized animals. Um, I did shoot it, I shot groups at 60, 70, 80, 90, and 100. And Surprisingly, they grew pretty well. Um, even at 100 yards, I'd say I was shooting, I don't know, eight, 10 inch groups. It, um, I just shoot tighter groups with the V series and S series. You know, I can I can shoot just very tight groups with that. But I'd say the the drop wasn't very much, um, three four inches maybe um, more drop at 100, maybe just a few inches, and the groups opened up a little bit. But to me, that's not what it's for. I, I'm not I'm not planning to shoot a head that big and that wide at 100 yards. Um, just the the wider and longer the head, um, the more area for pressure to act on, it's just not going to be as forgiving for long range. And so I'm going to, what I did all year is I, just, I carried the S125 and the wide 125 in my quiver. And depending on the situation, that's what I'd pick. And and um, the first few animals this fall, all my shots were over over 50 yards. So I was shooting the S125. I shot that from my, my antelope, um, my my elk, uh, my mountain goat, you know, those were all in that 50 to 70 yard range um, for those shots. Um, I didn't actually put the uh, wide cut in. Um, I guess I did when I was, I was sitting over a water hole on an elk hunt after I got my bull. I had a, a bear tag and a cow tag set on water in the evening when the shot was going to be 20 yards on either a bear or a cow elk. I put the wide cut in for that situation. And then I, I used it for whitetails because I feel like, you know, I, I always think getting that max penetration and that exit hole is is better than a big hole. But I also feel like on a whitetail size animal, I'm going to have no problem passing through with that wider cut. 
De- yeah, definitely on a compound. A little bit different on a stick. You're just lacking. You're lacking some ass behind it. But the w- controlled environment, which with the limited amount of people I've I've talked to about this, because you wanted me to keep it the lid on it, it's a very well controlled environment option is is my strong suggestion for this head. Meaning black bear. If you're in a blind, that's a controlled environment. Tree stand, controlled environment. Antelope, controlled environment. Now. You know, with with antelope, and this is one of those things, you know, they're pretty, you know, they, they move, right? They get out of the way quick. Luckily, they're kind of wieners. Um, they don't like getting hit with broadheads very much, kind of like a doll. You know, a bra- uh, an antelope in a ground blind was something that my buddy had actually brought up to me just for the simple fact of how much they move and what can happen and just to get them to bed down, you know, quick and get another shot if needed. So anything like that uh, with the compound, it would be my strong suggestion. And I'm not a big blazer vein fan, but I, you know, I've always been, not that it's the blazer vein, it's the size. I, I always like longer veins and maybe it's, I don't know, even before I shot the stick, I always forever, you know, maybe it's cause I had such trouble tuning and I needed the, I need the extra help <laughs> of the, the longer vein. So I started shooting four, three inch veins quite a bit and you'd be, I think people would be surprised and I don't know if you found it to be different, but what you can get to fly with four three-inch veins on a compound bow, I think people would like a system with that wide cut for anything inside 40 yards because just the bonus of that two and an eighth cutting surface is huge. Yeah, I've shot um, four Fletch and AE Max Stealth and, and heat veins, and that, that's a good setup too. It definitely does a good job with, with fixed heads. Um, I just found with the little shorter, higher profile ones, I could get by with less weight in the back and still steer well. But I think any of those are good options. Yeah, and if you load, I will say if you load up the front of the arrow, you do have to have less vein in the, the back. Not that that was one of the things Ashby pushed a lot, and, and there definitely is some science behind that. I do think, though, you know, as guys are kind of, you know, pondering or whatever, the hatred for mechanicals is getting greater and greater because some of the stories. And, you know, one of the... Not to jump around here too much. <laughs> I'm going to leave names out of this. One of the things that that recently I got into it with uh, a guy, not into it, a discussion with a guy was I was I was talking to him about shooting this this wide cut, and and he was wanting to shoot a, a mechanical, and the bow was a very high poundage bow, a lot like what I used to shoot, and the problem with shooting anything really above. 70 well any weight but the higher poundage you shoot with a mechanical and and i've always found this to be true is you're inherently increasing the chance of blowing up the blades of the broadhead and so what i had the guy do is put two two by fours really close together and shoot through the gap of the two by fours and it snaps the blades off immediately every time and also will cause deviation in the arrow flight if one blade opens and it shifts the arrow which you can imagine is common sense well if you shoot the wide cut through that it just blows both it doesn't blow them up it passes through the two by fours believe it or not you know depending upon the width of the gap but the blade doesn't break the blades don't break and it doesn't change the deviation of the arrow flight nearly as much there's a little obviously depending upon what angle you hit it at I strongly encourage people to to test their equipment like this because, honestly, if I would have tested this with mechanicals six or seven years ago, I, I probably would have stopped shooting mechanicals. It really made me kind of, you know, I eat crow all the time. It really made me think of all the people I had suggested mechanicals to 
that shot maybe sh especially shittier mechanicals or shot a higher poundage, mo higher momentum. Well, I don't know if you've ever done this, but shit blows all over the place. I mean, there's shrapnel everywhere when you do this because it just shears off the blade and it's not much different than a rib cage. That's what you're simulating is going through a rib. Um, yeah, I tested a lot of mechanicals <laughs> uh, this past year also just shooting through bones to see what happens. And surprisingly, just the, even the thinnest part of the shoulder shoulder bones on the scapula, I was able to get blades were breaking most of the time through that. And if you hit a heavy bone, yeah, things were, were exploding. One of the things I was uh, showing Jake and I are always screwing around with stuff is if you just take a, a blade from a mechanical and put it in a vise and whack it in the side with a hammer, that'll break it. I mean, you don't have to whack it very hard either. Um, you know, and you, you, learn, you only know what you know and, you know, you're learning it as time goes on. And the, the stick has definitely opened my eyes to a lot of things because you watch TV shows and, and guys shoot 24-yard whitetails with mechanicals and they get – 14, 12 inches of penetration on a good day and the arrow animal runs off and you're like, what the hell? And then I'm shooting a, a stick, zipping through animals, shooting through scapula. And, you know, a lot of it's their setup. Um, you know, two is obviously the, the, the momentum lost, you know, from going through the, the animal because of the mechanical. And so, you know, really getting a, a fixed blade to fly isn't that difficult. In thoracic cavity, you're going to have two holes in it almost guaranteed in, a, in comparison to one on with a mechanical. So, again, I, I think it's a great option for, for guys to, to take a look at and gals. I know, like with Amy, she we're gonna, she's going to shoot the S100s and probably shoot the wide cuts for, for turkeys just because she had such, you know, good luck so far. I mean, she hits what she's aiming at and, and the penetration, obviously. I don't, I don't want her shooting or she doesn't have the ass behind the arrow to shoot a wide cut. I think, she, I think she'd probably be okay. It just doesn't make sense for her to shoot it because she's doing fine with the the S one hundreds and they're quite honestly they're a lot easier for me to get her to tune and I haven't messed with the wide cuts. I'd be interested to see, um, and I may have her try some just to see at forty. Uh, we you know with the with the wide cuts just for experiment. But. Yeah, I brought a couple of wide one hundred for along for you to to try out. So oh cool. Yeah, we go all the way down to a hundred grain on the wide cut. The 100 grain has a different blade than the 125. It just has to be vented out more. But the, the profile of the blade is the same, same width, same length, front to back. Um, but the 125 head you know, has smaller vents, so it's a bit stronger blade than the 100 grain. And that same blade is used from 125 all the way up to 225. So we'll offer all those weights, one, you know, 125, 150, 175, 200, 225. So the V100, we did test it through a lot of heavy bone, and um, we didn't break that blade. So I believe it is um, plenty strong enough. Um, even that shot through the, that I mentioned on the whitetail that, that split the, the offside knuckle in two, you know, that, that blade survived um, that hit also. Um, so I think the, the 100 grain is plenty strong, um, but the 125 is, is significantly stronger in this case. So. If you're kind of on the fence about do I want to shoot 100 or 125 next year, I'd, I'd encourage the 125. I just think um, you just got a little more metal there um, to work with, a little more weight, and that's that's a really strong, solid head. I really like that head. Now, what's your blade thickness? This was something else that, you know, in the off-season you get bored and you hypothesize, and I've been blowing up broadheads at my house like it's my job, testing stuff. What's the blade thickness on your thinnest head? Yeah, they're all the same. They're 62,000 thick A2 tool steel. And, you know, I considered, you know, when we got all this, um, 
you know, all these requests for a wider head. I didn't really want to do it at first. I didn't want to make it any weaker. I didn't want to make it, you know, not fly well, all these things. You know, one way to do it is uh, thin up the blade, you know, because how do you get the weight down? Uh, you can vent it. You can thin up the blades. The reason I didn't want to thin up the blade is because that front of the of the blade takes a lot of impact there. And if you're just, say, you go from 62 down to 50, you might think going from 50 to 62, you're 25% thicker, so you're 25% stronger. But bending strength is proportional to the, the thickness cubed. So you're at 1.9 times stronger um, in a 50 in a 62 thousandths blade compared to a 50. So for those of, you, those of you feeling stupid off of not understanding what Bill said, I didn't figure that out either till he said it. But it makes total sense once you explain it that way. Because yeah, yeah. my testing has shown a far difference in strength than what it should be mathematically from 50 to 62. Uh, the 62 is inherently stronger, far more than that small percentage it, it shows, which is right. makes sense now. That you, when you said that this morning, I'm like, motherfucker, that makes sense. But I didn't, I didn't think of it that way originally. I just, in layman's terms, one's 50 thousandths, one's 62 thousandths. And where I'm noticing it testing, you know, not, I don't want to, you know, bash anyone, but when when the when the interlocking portion or or what holds the blades in is farther forward it's a weak point and that's where they snap and so not to interrupt you but just so i don't forget what i was thinking about is when when you fire you know when we fire into all kinds of shit right plywood or whatever you can't simulate a dead animal or other than shooting an animal and, and I've, I've done as much of that as i can but if you fire into a, a cinder block which doesn't have anything to do with shooting an animal but it, it's a what do you call that testing? It's a base testing point. It's the most equal. That's kind of thing. fragility testing, you know, where when it does break, what breaks first, what fails. But it's equal like for everyone, right? And so even though you're not going to be shooting, you're hunting cinder blocks, you know, it, it, it shows you the, the inherent failure point and a lot of the interlocking systems on the different broadheads where they connect, that's where they fail is, is where that Allen head goes through. Or if a blade, a vent, or, or if a like a bleeder blade goes through right there, because that's that's taking all the impact is the, of the front of the the blade. Um, is that the same kind of shit you're finding? Or yeah, having the bleeder blade forward, and I almost didn't want to say this and and uh, help anybody else out, but that bleeder blade forward that weakens the ferrule, it weakens the main blade because you have that cross slot through there then and. That front, that front half of the blade is what takes a tremendous amount of force on impact of, you know, a hard, of a bone hit, something like that. So, I mean, that's, that's definitely one of the reasons why I put the bleeder blade as far back as I could in the ferrule, just have more um, ferrule material and blade material that's um, just solid up front to take those high, hard impacts. Yeah, and I'm only bringing it up because as I'm, as I'm testing and learning all this stuff, you know, they're... Uh blowing up or breaking we you know we're testing i think i have 12 different you know broadheads you know at one time and as i've worked together with bill i you know i told him i was like dude i i use a fucking shit pile of broadheads you know testing them and you were like oh that's good that way you can talk to me about what you're finding out on the different heads and the big thing you you really realize is you know, Aeroflight anymore it's got to be a pretty shitty broadhead to not get it to fly like all high-end broadheads are going to fly pretty well and I don't know if you found that to be, but a good broadhead's a good head. Where you find my biggest thing that I've found is sharpness. And I will say, Rob Patuto from Stickbow Chronicles, you know, he said the same thing. Is I never really thought about how sharp it stays through the animal. Now, 
not to do the standard Instagram, I, I shot three animals with this arrow, it's the toughest in the world, or I shot three, you know, deer with this head, but I've, I've shot a few deer um, with the same head before I sharpened it, I just touched it up a little bit. You know, when you shoot a broadhead through an animal, and when, if you're lucky enough to get to hunt to, to, to shoot multiple animals, and you can shave with it, I strongly encourage people to test this. Shoot an animal, grab it, try to shave, right? One of the reasons my left arm is always bald is I'm constantly testing. If you shoot an animal and you can shave with the head, it stands to reason, obviously, that blade retention or that sharpness, that blade is staying there. If you shoot and it's dull, okay, that, you know, it's not. What people don't realize is going in out of the quiver dulls the fuck out of a broadhead. And I don't want to mention bash any companies, but you can going in and out of a, of a quiver, your primary arrow, you know, you pull it out, you're getting ready, knock it up, put it back in, knock it up. I never really thought about this that much before because shooting mechanicals when I was younger, right? And then and then not really just paying attention. You can dull a broadhead in one week going in and out of the quiver with shitty steel. And I, I never really thought about that before. And would you agree with that? I get it's not really something you can argue with because it fucking happens and it's depressing as shit. Well, yeah, you can just shoot it a few times in the foam and find out that there's no edge left. And, you know, it's probably not a lot different than just shoving it in and out of quiver a bunch of times. And it makes a huge difference. And I didn't realize it myself until a couple of years ago when I did this um, force testing through deer hide with a bunch of different broadheads, uh, fixed heads. And what I was really trying to look at is this, okay, these, these um, three to one um, ratio, two blade heads, how does that force to penetrate compared to the, uh, the iron wheel broadhead? And what I expected is that um, and, and these are thinner blades of mine too. And what I expected is, well, maybe the force to penetrate will be less, but they just aren't as durable. And surprisingly, the force for them to penetrate was higher. And on the second pass, it got worse. And then I looked at the edges under a microscope and I realized, huh, these, these edges aren't sharp anymore. As soon as you're pushing through hide, I mean, this is a microscopic level, but this, this edge was either rolled over or it was mushrooming out with one pass through deer hide. And then I, that's when I realized, and then I look at the iron wheel head and it still looked, you know, perfectly sharp out to 10 thousandths of an inch. And I really realized, wow, sharpness and edge retention is a huge factor here. My force to penetrate is, you know, a third of this head that looks not that much different. And it's all about sharpness and edge retention. And that's when I realized this three to one ratio is uh, that a lot of trad guys try to get. I don't think that's as important as um, my main angle on the outside of the blade. It's more like a two and a half to one, I think, ratio. And then a tanto tip comes at a sharper angle and shortens the whole thing. But I think you'd be surprised at how much better this penetrates than a three to one ratio that either doesn't start out very sharp or it's just cheaper steel that, that does not retain the edge. Well, and so I, I, I tested this. The problem is with three to one ratio broadheads, I think there's two uh, that's high quality steel, uh, maybe three that I can think. I'm not saying that's it, trad guys that hop on here and bash me. There's not very many high quality steel three to one ratio broadheads. There's a lot of sh shitty ones. And one of the broadheads I recently talked about, which is not bad steel, it's not the highest quality in the world, was one of the ones I was doling in the quiver, which again, you don't really think about that. Like, I, you know, I never really paid attention to it. And so what I had found or whatever is, is I would sharpen all these broadheads. And so what I started to do, you know, and this is just me fucking around the house. I have a big foam block right there that I stick my broadheads through. I usually stick them blade up rather than doling them. So I started just counting one, two, three, four, and then I'd shave one, two, three, four, very redneck testing. Some of them were literally down to like seven to 10 
insertions into the foam and I couldn't shave anymore. Where other broadheads like yours, there's actually only yours and one other, um, you know, you're hitting 30, 40 before you start to even notice and you're, they're still pretty sharp. And so, you know, in the case of um, longevity, they're easier to touch up as well. That's the other thing too, that when I say easier to touch up, not easier to touch up an actual sharpening, but for a little bit more effort, they stay sharper longer, if I made any sense of that. Usually if it's a easy to touch up, it also doles pretty easy. And you can touch on that because you're the metal guy. But <laughs> Yeah, it has to do with the hardness of the steel. So we have a 60 Rockwell C hardness, which is what you know a high-end custom knife maker might, might target on, on a blade to have, to be able to get an excellent sharpness and edge retention. Um, a lot of broadhead blades are around 50 Rockwell C and um, those 10 points are just a world of difference on, on sharpness, edge retention. And then often the, um, the mechanical blades are lower than that. They're more in that 46, 48 range because they need to be softer so they don't snap as easy. And then you're getting a really soft edge to them. And another thing is if the edge is too soft, you can't really get it that sharp. So hardness correlates with um, compressive strength you know, at the surface. And that high hardness gives you really high strength and you can hone that to this super fine edge and still have it be strong enough. And if you're trying to do that with say, you know, like aluminum, you just, you're just gonna have a big rounded end. It's, n- it's just not strong enough, hard enough to take that edge. The strop is where I really noticed when I took the, and again, I'm becoming a, a sharpening master because I've sucked at it for so many years. And so I've ordered a belt sander and a bunch of other shit to sharpen. And where I've noticed with the softer steel is, is the strop doesn't do anything. Right. So if you have a very and I could be this could be totally I could be full of shit, but it sure seems like when I go to strop a very a harder steel, there's a noticeable difference in that finer amount, that last few, you know, laps over the leather where with the aluminum or not aluminum, the softer, it doesn't really do shit. It doesn't do anything. Is that does that make sense or am I making that up in my mind? And I could be. But. No, it, it does. And I, I found that too, um, working with five different steels. Um, like I really liked S7, for instance, because it's it's a great impact strength steel. I just, it's just not quite, it's like 56 instead of 60 Rockwell C. And it'd still be the best head out there if I used that as far as strength and, and edge retention would be fine. But just for that 56 to 60, I saw we could get, we could do more passes, get even a finer you know, super fine hone and a sharper edge. So, yeah, and a lot of heads you're talking about are probably down in that 50 range, and there's a big difference there on how sharp you can get. 49 to 52, yeah, yeah, right in there. Um, And again, this is intriguing for me because out of boredom when I can't kill shit, I have to do something, which is usually studying and learning. Um, And, and I can't kill stuff all the time as much as I try. So the other um, kind of whatever, diving down the rabbit hole here, the one thing I started to do too, this has nothing to do with sharpness, is – uh, your head going through three or four deer is a good turkey head afterwards because those wide cuts I'm going to use for turkey. So what I started to do is pull the dull ones out for, for turkey. I really don't want my arrow to go through a turkey, right? I want it to stay sticking halfway out of both sides. And with a 650 grain arrow, it's a good chance it's going to go through. So I, um, the ones that were still quote unquote sharp, but dull, like I couldn't shave with them, but if you felt them, they felt kind of sharp. I actually just saving those things for, for turkeys. Cause one, I get to reuse the blades and then two, they still serve a purpose. Cause it's that, that, that head for a turkey, it doesn't hurt it at all to be, you know, that sharp and shoot through a turkey. But if I have some extra blades and they're a little dull, 
that doesn't bother me me either because as far as cutting yourself on a broadhead and learning how sharp, a, a lot of the broadheads you get out of the package you can't cut yourself with. And I was trying to explain that to some guys that literally you have to try to cut your hand with. Like, you know, your, your hand tightening, I'm horrible about not using a tool tightening up broadheads. And I've cut the shit out of myself. And then there's other times, like I bounced one of the broadheads against my string on accident, screwing around and didn't cut it. And, uh, you know, out of the package. And, and there's a lot of broadheads that come from uh, different manufacturers. And I talked about them on a podcast recently. You're putting in some time, a good 20 minutes ahead, you know, unless you got to sander a little bit less, you know, get to, to get them to sharp where yours, I would say, if it doesn't hit the ground, you're probably good for three pass-throughs with yours before you have to resharpen. Would you say that's pretty accurate? Yeah, multiple animals. I mean, I think I often shoot through an animal and just check, yeah, I can shave with it. The edges look clean, spin it's tr- spins true, put it right back in the quiver. And really, you can typically do that through a couple of animals that way. And it just really depends on what you're hitting on the other side of it. Yep. If you're going into sand or rock or dirt or whatever. I know one guy that shot um, seven deer with the same head, you know, with, with very little touch up at all. I just use that little tool, you know, when they start to get duller. And I, I would say if you use that tool out of the factory, it probably dulls them from as sharp as you send them. Is that true? Yeah, so that little carbide, <laughs> that little carbide tool is what you're talking about. It helps when they're dull, but out of the factory, you're actually probably going to make it worse, wouldn't you? Yeah, I wouldn't use it until it's it's, it's dull um, because it, you know, that sharpens in a different way. And we can go into sharpeners, but that's that's kind of planing. It's shaving material off the edge to make it sharp. Um, I mean, it's really quick. You can get it back to shaving sharp, you know, 20 seconds or something like that with it. But it's just different. You know, in the factory, we do multi- multiple stage grinding and honing. And so I like to touch them up on just a super fine stone and just push along there by hand. I know a lot of guys don't want to don't want to mess with trying to hold an angle by hand, stuff like that. But, you know, in a minute on a fine stone, I can typically get it shaven hair. And then I've just done less um, potential damage to the edge, I guess you'd say. And you're, and you're really just kind of, you're just shaving some material off and you're making it back to being sharp. But um, I mean, they work fine. A lot of guys love them and I don't want to talk people out of them um, because they are, they are quick in the field. They're, you can't hardly go wrong with them. Um, at some point, if you use them long enough, you'll get to a point where, oh, it's not working that well. And it's just that um, you're probably gonna have to go back and grind that edge you know, with, with more of a sharpening kit at set angles to get the edge back at that point. That's what I, and I've only had a couple like that just for the simple fact I haven't, you know, I, I shoot newer heads, but the, the thing that's nice as far as a, a backpack hunter, in my case, where I was shooting a lot of different animals, they're going into sand. So I, I, I'm pretty much for, once sand sucks for broadhead, I mean, it just fucks up the blade. So when I'd get back home at night, I'd, you know, do 10, 15, 20 swipes on each side and I'd be shaving sharp. I haven't got to a point where I can't sharpen them that way. They're not as sharp as from the factory. They're sharp as shit. They're just not quite there, but I like that little thing as a as a backpack hunter, just because I can touch them up and it's not very heavy. But it's it's certainly not, you know. You have the option, which I'm probably going to do more this year coming up, is just carry backup blades. Not very many, but you know, if you if you fire and you have a miss, is where it really comes into play, and you you bang up your head. If you have a Torx head, which I've got a little T one that you gave me, you swap out the blade. I've I've not damaged one of your ferrules before. Um, you, you may have had guys do it, but I, I haven't yet. And so I can just pop out the blade and pop in a new blade. And, and I'll probably do that. Just some of the, 
the distance, the, the, you know, we're talking 10, 12, 14 days back there, depending upon how many arrows I bring or broadheads, if, uh, you know, and what I'm shooting at, the damage done going into a rock pile, that little sharpener can't fix. Going into dirt, I can. And so carrying a couple extra blades probably isn't a horrible idea. And do you, as I say that, do you even sell extra blades that We way? do, yeah. Okay. We sell replacement blades for guys that don't want to resharpen. Or, or like you said, you ding up an edge and you just want to swap it out. Yeah. And I can, with that sander I got, I can, I've got the hang of it now that I can sharpen them. It's a ceramic belt. And then I have that little KME holder dealy. And so I can sharpen it mostly because I felt horrible trying to tell you, sending them all back to you or bugging you for blades. But the process, though, on my side is a belt sander and a wheel with what you're doing at the factory is much more in depth. Um, how are you guys? Or do you even want to talk about that? Yeah, it's, it's grinding. It's grinding um, setup. It's not. So it's not a belt. But, uh, you know, belts work, work okay. Um, you know, I've, I've got 10 different types of sharpeners at home, and one of them is, is a belt type. Um, and I use that on knives. I don't really like it on broadhead blade because you just take off so much material so quickly with that. It does do that. Um, and you can, yeah, you can take the point right off and things if, if you're not paying attention. So, you know, my favorite way to resharpen a blade is, um, you know, once, if I can't just, ru- if I can't just run it on a, a fine stone, and just bring it back. Then I'll remove the blades and use uh, a kind of sharpener where you clamp up the blade and have have stone set at set angles. Gatco, Lansky, uh, KME, Wicked Edge. These are all good good sharpeners that that do that kind of thing. And the reason I like that over a, like a power um, sander is you just you're taking off less material. It's more controlled angle to it. So it's just a better way to. Um, to, to sharpen it in a more controlled fashion. But like you said, um, you know, some guys just don't want to sharpen broadhead, and, and that's fine. You know, if you shoot it and ding up an edge a little bit, typically they still spin true. You can use that for a practice head if you want. Buy some replacement blades, um, just swap them out. Gotcha. Now, have you, um, like with your testing, you know, one of the things kind of pulling apart different broadheads and looking at different uh, attachment points, like we were talking about the, the Allen head or Torx head or whatever, holding things Sure. One of the things I've found that, you know, when that blade is, is, is slotted for a long ways, you know, up the blade, you know, to fit or, or interlock and that, you know, I'm, I'm finding all these different weak points and strong points, obviously just, um, you know, at, at face value or looking at it, you know, that can cause, I guess you could say the, the, the blade to snap in half, almost like a, a book opening and closing and kind of diving into this. You got to wonder how many animals are lost from shit like that that you don't know. A broadhead failure, right, or something breaking or snapping in half. And, you know, it's, it's hard to say because you don't, you don't find the animal and you don't know. And then as, as, as I'm getting these and testing them on side impacts and frontal impacts and things like that, would you say, in leaving out mechanicals because we know those break, would you say that that number do you think is higher maybe than people realize from loss of animals is, is, is broadhead failure and they just don't know? Or do you think it's not very often they just lost the animal because it was a bad shot or a little of everything? You know, I think, I think both those things happen. You know, broadheads get blamed a lot. And, you know, a lot of times it probably is just a bad shot. Um, but, you know, as I look at a lot of broadheads, I can look at them and say, well, there's no, there was no analysis done on this thing. Like this wider head, I wanted to make sure it was strong enough. So I do, I do a find an element structural analysis on it. Look, okay, what if there's a tip tip hit? What if there's a, a side load on the tip? What if there's a side load on, on one of the wings? Um, 
you know, how do I, where do I put material to get the strongest blade possible? And like you said, some of the blades, as you pull them out of the ferrule, you see, oh, this has a slot all the way from front to back. It takes very little force to snap those things off. If you say hit, hit on one, one side, you know, the outside um, kind of wing to it or another. Um, some ferrules, you look at them and to, to add the bleeder blade, well, the ferrule comes apart into pieces and you screw it together. Well, there's no integrity to that ferrule. There's no structure really to it holding that blade for a side impact. So, yeah, I think there's... See, where I see is putting it in a vice and whacking it with a fucking hammer. <laughs> that, that will definitely show you quickly. And, you know, I don't have the technology that, that some people have in a lab. And so I just look at it, you know, like, all right, it's, you know, pretty pretty simple. Like anything, um, like an arrow, I do redneck arrow testing. You'd laugh. I have... Um, stacks of bricks and I I put four inches of each side of the arrow on and I, I actually have a ratchet with a scale and I just I ratchet it up in the middle of the arrow and at a certain poundage you know every arrow breaks and <laughs> that's as about as redneck as you could get but that's the best I could come up with and I was astounded at the differences in one arrow to another how well they how, how how durable some are and how how weak others are and then obviously there's other tons of other ways to test it well with a, a, a broadhead I don't have any actual I hit it with you know 47 pounds of pressure I'm just taking a guess and whacking it on the side well if you do that on 20 heads and two snap and half easy and the other 18 make it it's pretty safe to say that those two are just a, a weaker broadhead or metal or, or whatever and that's where I'm kind of finding out um, as I'm screwing around with this stuff and and you have companies that have I can't dive down this rabbit hole there, there's a couple specific companies that have extremely fo- low, loyal followings that sucked so bad I didn't even bring them up and I probably should have because I know um, a buddy of mine uh, Ty Schwab years ago had one of these broadheads blow up in a shoulder right where the welds are and you think about that, it's like, okay, well, maybe it's just a shit, shit happens thing, right? Maybe, maybe it was just that one batch. And then you look over time over the next, so that was in two, so the next 14 years, how, how many bad batches did they have? And then, you know, me testing some of these things where I'm just going and grabbing them out of the store and buying them and firing them at the, the wall, right? And, and they're blowing up. You're like, these blow. And then you got to wonder, like, for me, I'm like, is this company pay people to get online and talk about them? Because they suck so fucking bad. I can't even bring them up because I don't want somebody to buy something I brought up thinking it was good enough to at least make the test. Now, have you found some heads like that in your, your testing where you're baffled by it? Oh, yeah, for sure. There's, there's heads that have big big followings. And um, on the forums, they've got a lot of support. And it makes me wonder, yeah, are these guys all on staff or what? Because... When I've tested them, they just haven't been very strong, either, you know, weak aluminum ferrules or, or weak blades. But, you know, that's, yeah, I don't want to bash any any head in particular or other companies. I just think, um, you know, use some, put some thought into it, look at the materials, look at the geometry. You know, it's, a lot of people don't think about it. They just think, ah, this must be a decent head. It's for sale. You know, it's, uh, a lot of people shoot it, but a lot of times, um, you know, not not everybody's, honest with their results i guess no yeah and i definitely i didn't i don't want you to to bash but i certainly want you to bring up on the scientific side of things for people to think about and and when you have a trying to get this without exactly zeroing down the company because then i will be bashing it but if you have a broadhead that sold at um 
Sportsman's Warehouse. And it's a price point that's almost too good to be true. I'm not saying that's not a bad arrow to wing at a turkey. That's probably the level you want to stop at with that head. And, and what I would say is when you, when you buy that broad head, let's say you shoot and you find you're bending, the ferrule's bending into a target. Um, blades are doling after the first shot into a foam target. You know, these just little um, telltale signs of, of maybe um, of lesser quality material, less, lesser time in manufacturing, that can cost you an animal. And, and, it, and it's okay until it's not. In the moment it's not, you're, you're going to go back and you're going to have a big coming to Jesus meeting with yourself and think, what the hell was I thinking? And, and I'm only bringing this up because it's happened to me. And then you, you start to speculate and, and, and you know, really dissect. And, and a lot of times, not always, I have found talking with guys that, uh, you know, at the tip of the spear, so to speak, is your broadhead. And it seems like your broadhead gets overlooked a lot. You'll spend two grand on a bow. You'll spend two hundred dollars a dozen on arrows, and then you'll go buy a crappy broadhead. I, and dude, I used to be that guy, right? And and then you lose an animal, and the moment that that happens, and you're telling yourself, "I had this perfect shot," and you may have, there's nothing to say that the broadhead didn't. And I'm not. A lot of people broadheads get blamed on a lot of stuff that shouldn't, but um, the broadhead broke on a rib. And I, if you've ever seen that happen, it pretty much halts all penetration or the components, which is going to be what we talk about here in a few minutes. Um, the components failed that will make you spend any amount of money on any broadhead when you lose your once in a lifetime, let's say it's a cow, but it's your first cow ever that that'll make you spend money on something more important. And, and I don't know how many phone calls you get about this. See what's what I do. I'm answering these fucking questions every day. And, there's a few videos I got where I got to see the guys hit. There's no way it couldn't be a broadhead failure, right? He, he hit a 12 ring on a broadside target. Well, in the 12 ring, you know, is, is a rib, right? And not too far from that is a scapula. Well, any decent setup, I would say, should pass through a scapula without issue. I don't know if you agree with that or not, but scapula ain't real thick. Right. And if you're not passing through a scapula or in the case of my buddy Ty, his blew up on the scapula. He's like me. He hangs up in the golden triangle and it blew up like shrapnel. And, you know, they're, they're welded, right? Where they come down. Well, when you talk about welded portions, just from a rudimentary way of looking at it, those are welded by a machine. I'm assuming, but I'm, I'm sure they are. I mean, when I say assuming, I'm assuming this company's welding them by a machine that would be the first place I would say, hell no, I'm not shooting that because welds are about the worst thing in the world you'd ever want on a broadhead. I mean, I don't, are you agreeing with most of what I'm saying so far? Yeah, you had this heat-affected zone where it's very brittle right around a weld. So, yeah. So it's tempered and then it's welded and the weld affects the temper because it's heated up at another level, correct? Yeah, it depends on what kind of tempering you do after it to, to yeah, reduce that brittleness, but then that can also soften the rest of the blade and... It's so as it was explained to me, and I was hoping you would say that nothing good comes out of that at all because it affects it on one end or the other, as it was explained to me. So if you if you make it more durable after the welding process, you're affecting the sharpness of the blade, as I understood it. Did I understand right. it correctly? Yep, that's right. If you tempered okay. enough to make those welds um, not brittle, then you're then you're typically reducing the hardness of the overall blade, and you won't won't be sharp or retain the edges as well. You know, I'm a little bit jaded, not jaded, but 
I read some of the things that are that are written, and that's not to say a, a subpar broadhead can't get the job done. Obviously, it can. I mean, we used to kill them with obsidian. But do you want to go through life kind of trying somewhat okay hard every now and then, or do you want to you know go through life like doing your best? So, um, and not that everybody can afford every head known to man. I mean, certainly I understand guys will message me about about your heads because yours are like what ninety something for three. Is that? Yep, a nine nine ninety five. So hundred bucks for three. So what yeah. I try to explain to guys is if you can't shoot them for everything, at least get three or six. Um, not everybody can afford a hundred bucks, but if you really take a look at it, you probably got a you know some guys got a drinking problem. Don't don't drink a twelve pack to you know for a few nights in a row, you'll be fine. And at least have for the for the big moments, you know you you know if you don't want to wing them, it. I have an issue with I'm a gear snob to a certain degree. I guess you could say like I really like having the best gear. Not everybody's like that. Not everybody wants to be like that. But I would say you're really handicapping yourself by not having uh, some of those heads in your quiver for your first time elk hunting. You know, your you know whatever the case may be, because there it is a noticeable difference. And daily, I am you know not to make this whatever an iron well leg humping um, show, but. I tell you, like I'm shooting things and I'm like, you know, because I don't shoot all, all, all animals with your heads for testing purposes. And, and um, after I went on my recent shooting spree, dude, I walked out of that like thinking, holy shit, people are getting screwed. Like a lot of people are getting screwed. And one company, I won't bring it up on this. I brought it up on another podcast. It's 90 bucks for three with subpar metal or subpar components all the way through with serious chinking problems. And what's crazy is after I did that podcast, the amount of messages I got with broken broadheads, I'm talking like really? 60 or 70. One guy, Al Kidner, he messaged me six broadheads in a row with the front three eight snapped off of the head. I think I know the head you're talking about. I, I shot the head maybe 14, 15 years ago, and I saw the same thing. I was snapping the, the tips off of them. Yeah, and you know, so before I get messages saying not everybody can afford it, you can afford three, <laughs> you know, you can afford a few. And I think you'd be pleasantly surprised by doing that just for the simple fact of the what ifs, if you hit, you know, you're in the scapula or, you know, whatever, it's going to say, you know, sharper throughout. And that's where, you know, you really start to notice the difference. And I guess for me, not paying attention before, you know, shooting a compound, just kind of screwing something on and shooting it. I mean, I paid attention to accuracy, obviously, to now, my eyes were open so much that first year when I'm zipping through almost everything I shoot with a recurve compared to before where I'm getting a pass through every third animal. I'm like, holy shit. And then I start to dissect all the different types of broadheads and the different, you know, how they're created and how easy they break. And then I'm, you know, I'm looking back thinking, fuck, maybe that one animal I lost, maybe that wasn't my fault. And some, a lot of times it is, but sometimes it's not. And you don't want to, you know. You want to do your best, obviously, with everything you got. So. Yeah, you know, I, I kind of think about it like this. Um, you know, I'm a mechanical engineer, did product development for 25 years. And, and when we do a new, have a new project coming up where there'd be a lot of components, assemblies, we'd look and see, well, what's the most, what's got the hardest job here? What's going to be the hardest to achieve the high performance needed? And that's where we'd put the, the engineering into it, the materials, the, the analysis, the cost, and really make that part better that had to do that high performance. And as I look at as I look at bow hunting, you know, certainly the bow's got to do some things there in the arrow, but that broadhead, that's 
I don't think people really think about it. You're throwing a piece of steel at high speed, 200, 300 feet per second, and then impacting a lot of times bones, you know, hide bones. And so there's not too many other situations out there where a, a piece of steel, uh, you know, a relatively thin blade has got to do this high impact and then cut all the way through something. So, I mean, the and I think, you know, a lot of broadheads have just failed on bones in the past and people just thought, well, you know, bad shot, that's what happens. But I think if you really put the materials engineering into it, you can get one that won't. It'll go through that bone. It'll it'll get your pass through shot. Yeah, no, I'd agree. We're hitting an hour, so we make this. It may make this into two parts. If we do, we do. If we don't, we don't. But w- one of the things that I I wanted to cover since we we hit a lot of broadhead stuff here. So so recently, Bill messaged me and and said, uh, I think you had said, Hey, Aaron, you can shoot the Black Eagle Rampage with whatever the OD and ID components you have for your your hit system and. For me, I've been shooting, I've, I've, well, I've, I've test arrows like I test broadheads, but I've been shooting these vintages. And I had standard 50 grain brass inserts. And then I recently ordered uh, some different components uh, that beefed up the front. But with the vintage arrow, it's bigger around. So it's going to have a little more wind drag and, and less penetration through an animal. But I've had really good luck with them. And I got tired of fucking with micro diameter components, to be totally honest. And I hate deep six. Now, I, I know... Some people get mad when I don't like deep six. I don't like fucking with deep six. And I don't like the smaller uh, threads and everything on a deep six. Some people have great luck with them. This is just me. And so you said, hey, you want to try the Rampage with uh, your ballistic collar and the, what I have is a, it's a stainless 75 grain is what I got from you, wasn't it? Yeah. So I was like, well, I'll give it a try. And you were worried about, there was a little bit of difference on the rampage to the to the axis as far as the OD where the collar goes on. Yeah, the impact collars are different for each arrow, and they're really sized. The ones we saw right now are sized to fit about a thousand within a thousandth of an inch or so of, of the you know east and axis east and injection, and they're they're close on the um, you know the black eagle the gold tip, but you'll have to kind of look at the, the ID that we list versus the OD of your arrow and, and see what the fit is. And um, I think the Black Eagle Rampage, I told you there'd be about a two and a half thousand per side gap with our impact collar, our 25C impact collar. So I recommended, yeah, use an epoxy, just fill in that gap for that setup. So at first I laughed because when I got them, knowing how anal retentive you are, the, the tolerance on for the rampage was actually quite a bit tighter than most other manufacturers components out of the gate which one company specifically i won't bring up so i got them and i got my new bow and and i'm wanting to play with all this shit and and i did not get the tool for the (laughs) for the components and the epoxy so i did exactly what you told me not to do because i wanted to play with them and i used uh the black impact glue what do you call that stuff yeah it's a it's black max, but it's basically cyano cyanoacrylate with a rubber toughener in it, and there's a number of different companies that sell it. But it's um, yeah, it's not really a, for a gap fill so much. It's more when you can just push two things tightly together and bond them. Epoxy will always be stronger, like a 24-hour epoxy. Um, but that rubber toughened um, CA does does a decent job. Well, having said that, the epoxy's coming today. I glued up a shitload of arrows, and the testing began. So I screwed the that hit insert into a field tip for my depth. And then I just glued the collar on with black glue and started firing away. 
one of the, one of the reasons I did this is I wanted to. My current arrows now are like six hundred fifty grains, um, and they're super tough. I've killed a pile of stuff with them, but wind drift. Uh, I wanted to drop down the the vein length on the back end in hopes for the tail slap we were talking about. Because every year I'm I'm learning and I'm I'm like okay, if I can get these to fly with smaller veins, it's only going to be better in the wind. And so I've got three uh, or four three inch trad veins on the ass end and I've got 300 up front total and they weigh 590 grains so I picked up some speed um, not that it's a speed demon by any means but I picked up oh I think 10 or 12 feet per second or maybe a little more you know with that I've got a smaller diameter arrow so less wind drag as far as that goes and good FOC and I don't like dive down the FOC train too much but decent enough so with what technically should not have been perfect I glued eight broadheads in. When I say glued in, they're inherent. They're going to be glued in because I glued <laughs> those in for the depths to test them. Um, they all span, spun perfect, and the collar didn't have much of a gap on it. And so I started firing into wood and trees and rocks and shit. And um, I hate to ever say because people are like, "Hey, why'd you switch?" And there's a big difference between testing and switching. I'm constantly testing. Very rarely, you know, am I going to switch? Man, so far I've been overly. In fact, I texted you last night. I was like, dude, these things are kicking ass because I firing into a tree, believe it or not, I have found uh, getting it out of the tree does the most damage to a broadhead, not on impact, but meaning potentially bending the ferrule. And, you know, keep in mind, I'm purposely fucking these things up. So I, I fired them into some trees. First time I didn't do it on purpose, but the next times I did. Uh, and then just bent them out left and right. So I, I was pretty happy. I had no side blowouts, and the broadhead still spun extremely well. Um, I got questions about this, uh, which you can answer. What makes your components like the hit insert different? The impact collar, as far as failure goes, is it overlapping all the way to the hit insert? You know, what they fit, which I told them just to get on the chart and look. Um, should they glue the impact collar on, you know, why you did it, the things like that. So do you want to touch on some of that? Yeah. You know, I, I originally made these for myself. I liked, I liked the hit system in, in 204 ID arrows because the shank on my broadhead, um, aligns directly to the ID of the arrow and that's the datum surface on the broadhead. And you know what I, I was always test testing a lot of hard impacts and I wanted to see, well, did, does it spin true afterwards and does it spin true when it's first assembled? So if I'm if I'm aligning that broadhead shank to that idea of the arrow, I know it's going to spin true. Um, if it's a good arrow that's has good straightness, and I'm trying to get things perfect. So if there's a few thousands even run out, I mean I can see that, and I know well it's not perfect. So that you know that's why I like that alignment system. So that hit insert down in there. What I would see is once in a while you, on a high uh, a hard side impact, you can break out that arrow or at least just bend. Um, really kind of bend those threads enough that you weren't spinning true. Um, it's one of the reasons I didn't like the axis. Um, I liked everything about them but that, the side blowout. Um, and then the, the fact of bending the, the, the ferrule, you can bend it. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, so adding that one-inch hardened steel sleeve to the outside of the arrow, and it does overlap the, um, the hit insert. I think on a 204 diameter, it's pushed back in there 0.458 inches or something like that. So you got about a half inch overlap between the collar and that the hit insert. And then it just depends on how long of a hit insert you're using, what weight. But 
I really like that system because you're you're building the broadhead right into the arrow and then strengthening up that connection versus uh, you know an outsert or a half out you're you might have something that's strong out in front but then you also have that that lever it's kind of like a breaker bar you know bending on something things bend much easier and arrows break much easier when you have a you know a half out or, or an outsert and, and half outs they work okay a lot of times, but a lot of them get bent. I hear that all the time. You know, I was using this half-out system, but Pilot people bent. get a hold of me about the rampage that they love the arrow, but the half-out blows out the side. Like the, the moment I've posted that post uh, of me shooting with the, the rampages and listed what I was screwing around with, that was the first thing that guys asked was either, hey, you better switch or, you know, you're going to have side blowouts with that that half out which it just stands to reason because there's the lever points right there at the weakest point so yeah and and there's significantly more tolerances stacked up when you have a, a half out you know part of it's going down into the shaft but then you have the tolerance from that to the you know the part that's sticking out and then to that id so they're just more likely to not spin true to begin with and you know a lot of components you get free with arrows are are very you know, very low-end materials. I shouldn't say this about all of them because it's not its not all of them. There's some, you know, good components out there and there's some high-end components you can buy for certain arrows by manufacturers. But just in general, the components you get free with arrows are, um, you know, they're lower-end materials, lower-end machines. They aren't as, as precision as they could be. But anyways, I really like that, um, the hit system with the um, impact collar and, you know, I mean, Easton, we licensed a hit hit system from Easton, so we can make those hit inserts now. And but those really work with um, any 204 ID arrow. So that's the Black Eagle Rampage. It's gold tip kinetics. The Victory Archery. The TKOs um, work well with that. And who am I forgetting here? Anyways, there's um you can shoot our hits hit inserts and impact collars with any of the 204 or 166 ID. The 166 ID then we. In, we use the deep six system and and I know you're not a big fan of that system. It's um it's inherently not as strong as the two oh four. Just that shank diameter, bending strength is thickness cubed, um, you know, or diameter cubed in this case. So the two oh four system, that shank diameter is is twice as strong as the as the one six six. But with our hardened steel and um, grade five titanium, um, if you like the four millimeter, if you like those micros, I th- I do think a hardened steel hit in there, um, hardened steel or titanium, you know, shank on our broadhead, and then that impact collar over there. I feel like it's the best microsystem, um, or certainly one of the, one good one. I think Valkyrie has a good one too, but both of those have the same shank size. Whether you're Deep Six or, or Valkyrie, you're at that 166 diameter. It's just not going to be strong as the standard, the 204, but um, you know, it's it's strong enough for a lot of situations, and then you can get that good alignment to the ID. And I think what that weighs out to when people ask me the question is, you know, whatever percentage of strength difference is, is the wind drag, which is why you're in penetration, is why you're shooting a deep six is more penetration technically and less wind drag because, you know, the arrow diameter is smaller. If if that outweighs the difference in increased durability of a 204, then, then go, you know, the deep six system. And if it doesn't, then go with the, the 204 or whatever. Um, you know, for, for me, you know, and it may, it may be if I was shooting a compound, it might, it might be different. I'm not dropping, you know, long distance bombs by any stretch of the imagination. So 
For me, I'm catering a little more towards durability. And a 204 is still, of course, I'm old school. It's still pretty small. In the case of when I started shooting, you know, aluminums, like I was thinking about this the other day, totally off subject. And I remember reading about Chuck Adams constantly, right? And these giant five inch feathers or veins, you know, he was shooting a Hoyt and then it, I think he had, uh, was it caribou? What the hell was it? They made a bow specifically for him hit out of the, out of Hoyt did, right? He had his own line. But, but you know, in, in shooting, you know, I remember shooting 2514s, 2512, or not 2513s, yeah, you know, for hunting, I shot with 2219s for a while. And in technology, even a 2219 small back then, but right. it's pretty freaking big now. I mean, it's a tournament arrow, you know, where now you're dealing with like a 204. Like I grab those vintages. It's like I'm shooting an indoor target arrow. You know, I'm just not, you know, you're grabbing a, a bigger diameter arrow. And so I definitely have not seen on animals that I can quantify a difference shooting the bigger shafts, but I would be lying to say there's not a difference. There has to be. I just have been going through things. So when you test it in more of a controlled environment in like a lab or my garage, it is an increased it is a lot more penetration when you're talking about 204s or micros. You're getting qu- quite a bit more penetration from those. It's hard to tell on an animal, but you're definitely getting it. So it's got to be the same. It's got to be that way on an animal. I just haven't seen it yet. I'm curious to see how this goes. I don't think I'm going to take, I might, I'm shooting with Jake tomorrow and this weekend um, if I take them to Arizona because I just got them, you know, and as far as getting comfortable with them, if I take them down there or not, or I might take both bows, but I'm definitely going to hunt with that rampage system this year. I might not hunt turkeys with them because it doesn't really, you know, whatever, as far as big game, I'm not really worried about penetration, but the wind drift is significantly different, it, you know, and shooting 40 and 50 yards with a stick bow is, is about as far as I can shoot in that paper plate group. But the cool thing where I'm at is where I because my actual range right now has got three deep, three feet deep of snow as my driveway. You know, it comes up and dog legs hard. And so that, that where it comes up is a, it's a wind tunnel. I don't have wind that hits me or the arrow coming out of the bow. So my wife can catch it mid-flight and see that all of a sudden 30 yards out, that big torque. Hmm. And, uh, you know, for me, the difference in the deviation of arrow flight between the vintage was pretty fucking depressing. In the sense, I'm like, shit, I wish Bill would have waited a week to bug me about this because I've got Arizona coming up on if I do <laughs> shoot the rampages. Because when you, when it's that much of a, of a, of an eye opening visual, you know, that arrow's flying down range and it hits that wind tunnel and you see one crank over a foot and one just crank over a couple inches. It kind of, you know, it's a, it's one of those things where I'm like, shit. I wish I wouldn't have done this already because then, you know, you kind of almost force because it's going to be in the back of your mind. And, and guys, as guys test this, I know they've hit that one blinking light moment, whether it be the broadhead, the, you know, the, the veins or arrows or whatever, because they're getting a hold of me off a specific instance that just happened that has altered their hunting career of, of whatever happened. Generally, it's bad. Very rarely it's good as somebody getting a hold of me other than to say, hey, I got one. But when it's bad, um, it's no different than a guy packing out an animal and coming to get our pack. They'll spend any amount of money to correct whatever issue they, they had. And in my case, shooting heavier arrows and some of the things I've changed this was hitting an animal and losing it. It'll make you change just about anything. Yeah, when you were shooting standard arrows, I just put it off a long time, but I finally I felt compelled to tell you, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Try these. I mean, nothing wrong with the standard arrow. They're, they're strong and, and they're fine. Um, 
But I see no negatives to dropping down to that small diameter, that 204 ID, if, if you're using our hit system and collar system, very strong. And then you get the benefits of the smaller diameter um, and you even get some improved, probably improved alignment, concentricity, some improved concentricity strength and the benefits of the, of the small diameter on a little better penetration, less wind drift. Um, you know, at some point when you get on a micro now, I don't... You know, I know Randy was on and he said you get double the penetration. I think that was through a plywood or something like that. Yeah, I don't know if it's maybe 30% or something maybe. I don't know. I don't know that you see a lot on an animal. And, and I'm going to do some more testing on this year. I think because the broadhead is making that bigger hole through there. And now the shaft um, is pulling through after that. And if, the, if there's a step down to the shaft size, which there is in either the small or the micro, I don't know that you get that much more benefit from the micro. I, I just haven't seen it on an, an animal, you know, and I've been very upfront about that. Like there's, there's gotta be some benefit to it. I just, on an animal, it just, I couldn't even begin to say, oh, this one time maybe, but I can say is before the animal, there's a difference meaning wind drift or tail slap or, or whatever. That's where I can see it is, I mean, that's visually right in front of your face, you know, coming out of a ground blind you know, comes out of the window and you're like, fuck, it just hit a hurricane, right? That is where a smaller diameter, I don't think can be argued. That is where you'll know. And the 204 is a good, happy medium. And I do get set my, my ways for sure. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not ever going to use that. And, and which 204 wasn't one of those. I, I don't mind shooting smaller diameter shafts, but meaning like deep six, probably never going to be a fan of FMJs or, or deep six, but with a 204 and the alignment that I don't think that can be argued with the better alignment. And it's pretty noticeable when you're, when you're fletching in as many arrows and building as many and testing as many as I am, you don't even really have to have a test when you're spinning a meaning I'm not trad labbing it out where I've got a graph and a chart and everything else. If you screw on 15 broadheads and they all spin perfect on a 204 with that you know, I say alignment system, but meaning it's tucked inside the shaft. It helps alignment. And then you do the same thing with a different system. And every third or fourth arrow, you're having to you know, fuck with a little bit. Obviously, that you, you know, I don't need a, a graph to tell me that one is more consistent than the other. And so I was on the phone with, with Randy Cooling and Jake talking about the system. I'm like, man, because I think Randy's talking about switching. He's been shooting X-Impacts and possibly shooting a different system. And I'll be, there's going to be two things I'm going to be curious about is all these ones I built up with the wrong glue if uh, they break because I totally built them ass backwards how you should. If they don't, that's good. I mean, that's really good because I I glued them together with shit I shouldn't have and I didn't use the tool because I was in a hurry to test them. And then, you know, two, the next one's going to be is is basically how much, let's say I have another year this year coming up in 2020. If I have another year like this year where I'm shooting, you know, 30, 40 animals or plus, what I'm going to say at the end of the year of, am I going to be like everyone on God's green earth needs to shoot a 204? Because you shoot enough animals, there's going to be some some pretty big beacons that flash as you're going through these animals. I think the biggest thing I'm going to notice is, is wind drift or that tail slap for penetration issues. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else you want to cover, you think? You know, I think it might be worth just covering because I'm, I'm going to get a ton of questions on this. People, and we came out with the, the S series. I answered, I still answer them now, but I answered hundreds of questions on should I choose a V series or an S series. So I thought it might be good just to say, what situation should you choose a V series, S series, or the wide head? And a lot of this is going to depend on the on the individual. But so you know, here's my thinking: our V series, it was our original 
head. It was designed for max penetration on big animals like an elk to get that pass through, whether it's a, it's a you know, steep quartering away or going through a shoulder blade, whatever, you know, max penetration, good durability. Also long range flight. It's relatively compact, so you can shoot it well at long range. That's our V series. Our S series is basically the same size, um, same blade without the vents. And that's because, um, you know, you pointed out, hey, the vents make a little bit of noise. Um, it's true they do. Saw blades will get rid of that vent noise and, and it's a stronger blade. We have a, once in a while, we'll have somebody that says, um, you know, the vent, it's a little more forgiving for me, flies a little better. It makes sense. You know, there's less, there's less surface area for the crosswind to act on. What I found personally is that with a well-tuned bow, I shoot them both really well at long range. Now I've switched to, I used to shoot the V100, now I shoot the S125. Just a little bit stronger, a little bit quieter. Um, our sound testing show that that vent blade noise isn't really noticeable at the animal till that arrow is very close. But um, if that concerns you, saw blade is quieter. But they're really very similar as far as performance. Now our wide head, 30% wider, you know, spend a lot of time do structural analysis, um, computational fluid dynamics, flow analysis to keep the drag down. It's got vents in it, but they're, the geometry of these vents are such that it keeps the drag low and the sound low. And I think you can probably agree that they are, they're pretty quiet for a vented head. Yeah, yeah. And as far as to touch on what you're saying and what I tell people, it's, it's pretty cut and dry. If you're shooting long distance, shoot vented. If you're not, shoot solid. I've, I've kind of got it to really that many, you know, words. It, there is, because I shot both out of my compound. Um, at, at 80 to 100 in a wind, it, it, it's a noticeable difference between vented and solid. I'm, I'm a big fan of, of the solid heads, um, and, and that's just how I am as a person. But at a Reinhardt 18 and 1 in a decent gust, you're talking about with a vented being pushed, uh, this is 80 to 100, maybe six inches to the right, eight inches to the right, where with a vented you or with a solid, you might miss the 18 and 1. It's not a lot of score footage on that target. Um, so if you're shooting long distance, shoot a vented if you're not shoot a solid and i kind of stand by that would you concur it seems like yeah i i think the that vented man i shoot that really well i can have an untuned bow and shoot that thing well um yep. the solid it yeah a little more your form um you know a little more finicky for form and um and a well-tuned bow but if you if you have those things done well i shoot the s125 and you know, some of my follow-up shots were, were pretty long this year um, and hit where I was aiming. So I think you can shoot either of those well at long range. The, the wider head, 30% wider. For me personally, I'm going to – I carried it in my quiver and I didn't pull it out um, until whitetails because that's where my shots are going to be under 50. And so for me, it's going to be for bears, whitetail, kind of medium-sized animal, close range. On elk, I think it depends on the person and the setup. If you – if you're one of you guys shooting 80 pounds, um, you know, 500 plus grain arrow, yeah, it's probably fine on elk for you. And, you know, I'm just going to say on that one, it depends on the person. If you shoot closer range and you got enough energy, it's going to be fine on elk. It's going to blow through. But if if you're borderline on any of those things, just use like the V100 or S1, S125, something like that. Um, make sure you get that penetration, that pass through. And then on a medium game like deer, it's going to depend on the person too. I'm, I'm going to say the average guy, it's going to blow through deer no problem. Um, you get somebody like uh, like Bailey Smith. She shot a buck this year with our with 
I think the S100, S125, anyways, either one of our V or S series, she's shooting, I think, a 43-pound recurve, and she got a complete pass-through, and it actually stuck in the dirt on the other side of that buck. And for her, I mean, that's not very much energy and got a full pass-through on a deer. That's probably the right size head for her. I probably wouldn't go with a wide head um, if you're um, shooting a lower poundage, that kind of thing. So just wanted to kind of recap what should I choose for what? And for me, it's it's medium-sized animals under 50. The white cuts, white cuts great. Bigger animals, bigger bone animals, longer range. You want that max penetration on big animals? I'd go with the the V series or S series. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think um, the one thing, just because bear's coming up, the the wide head for bear is is going to be pretty damn hard to beat. Just the the blood trails I've gotten, you know, the the, the issue with with bears is the the fur sucks up blood and the fat and, and and it's an issue even if you were shooting you know standard two blade the wide cut it's still a problem the kind of the beauty with this is that that four blade makes it harder for that wound channel to close on a bear and the and in the, the fur and fat to plug up the hole so i i know i've already suggested this to to many guys who are getting ready to buy bear broadheads broadheads for bear to hold off for the for the wide cut because it's extremely sharp. It's not that hard to poke a hole through a bear. Um, you know, they're not overly tough as far as that goes, but as far as the blood goes, you know, getting a hole through, you know, two holes through the thoracic cavity, getting two, two you know, blood coming out of both holes, you know, bears are generally living in really brushy, crappy areas to blood trail. And so, you know, this head is going to be extremely hard to beat for, 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 for bear. And, and like I said, I'm bringing that up because bear season's coming up quickly. Turkeys as well. Obviously it's a, it's a high dollar head, you know, for turkeys, but, uh, like Amy, I'm going to have her shoot, uh, you know, the wide cuts for, you know, for turkeys. Two things. One, when, when she, sh- when she shoots or anybody shoots a mechanical, it's garbage when you're done with it. I don't, I don't know anyone that shoots a mechanical twice. Where with these, I can sharpen them right back up and, shoot them again and so which is which is big for me now that i'm funding two people so that's a big one like with turkeys you're probably going to find your arrow for a turkey right like that's one thing i say losing them most of the time hunting turkeys with a bow you're in a ground blind you're shooting you know they're going to be in a field or whatever you're going to be able to find your arrows so i don't worry about that as much with with turkeys you know it's not something that's going to you know be this huge concern because i can go find them and get them sharp again and again if guys have questions with the different, you know, options, I haven't shot the vented uh, for a while. I shot a few animals with them in my compound, but have questions, especially on the stick bow side, is is what and when. You know, my my answer is probably going to be carry both heads in your quiver. You know, I I think that um, it's arguable on any animal. I'll shoot an elk without blinking an eye with that wide head out of my stick. Um, I know you kind of a minute ago probably said don't do that, but. Knowing what animals I've shot before with different heads, I wouldn't have any issue. You'd have to hit a really bad spot to not zip through an elk with my setup on a stick bow with that with that wide head, like a spot I may not get through anyway. So I, I don't think it's a bad head for that. For yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to. I'm just being a little cautious, cautious for people. <laughs> yeah, because I, I agree. From what I've seen, I mean, I zip. I'm zipping through animal. I zip through my buck at 42 yards, and that that arrow is stuck over a foot into the dirt on the other side of it. So I, you know, I think 
with my setup for elk, I'm going to be zipping through them too. I just know there's just a lot more margin for error and I don't want people to, I want people to get pass-throughs. You know, I think it's always good to have that exit hole, especially on a higher, higher downward shot. You know, talking about bears, I just want to mention too that a lot of guys think mechanical is a thing to do on bears. Well, the outfitter I've gotten to know pretty good where I go bear hunting in Saskatchewan, he's had, he had a bunch of guys come in with mechanicals last year and had a ton of them where just quartering away, they didn't pass through and high entrance holes, no exit and really had a hard time finding those bears. So I do think our white cut's going to be a good option there. Get that pass through, get that low exit hole and a lot of blood on the ground. Yeah. Like, like Lander, he hates mechanicals, like with a passion. And I've got a few outfitters that, that actually, you know, they don't, they suggest a specific mechanical, but, you know, I will say like, you know, with a compound, especially, you know, high entrance holes and, and um, you know, I'm teaching Amy stuff all the time on, on 3D targets showing her, you know, the higher the exit hole, the longer it takes for the body cavity to fill up before blood starts flying out of that hole. You know, if you haven't been on your hands and knees tracking through Devil's Club, you just haven't lived. Um, it sucks. So, you know, the, the, the double holes is huge. Not only, you know, more blood, but also they have trouble breathing when there's two holes through the thoracic cavity. You know, they're leaking air out of both sides. So they're, they're, out, they're liable to bed down and lay down a lot quicker, not just the blood trail, but just get them, getting them to stop and die. So very important and, and definitely that, that head for bear, like I said, I think it's going to be, you know, extremely well received for a lot of guys. Yeah, for sure. And it, and whitetail guys, I mean, that's primarily who has been um, bugging me for this, this wider head, just because they're, they're zipping through whitetails and the arrows are hardly slowing down with our, our V-series or S-series. And so a lot of those guys will be happier with the wider head. And you know, most of those whitetail shots are kind of under 40, 40 yards. Um, so I think it'll it'll do well there. Definitely. Well, cool, man. You got, a, you got anything else? No, that's about it. Cool. Well, I appreciate you coming down. Sorry I was sleeping when you got here. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, I'll definitely I'll keep you posted on the uh, – you know, the, the impact caller and the, and the hit system with the rampages and then keep keeping you posted. I've got a pile of of the heads heading down to, to Arizona, so we'll see the, how that goes. But, uh, yeah, thanks again for everything. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me, Aaron.